One of the great joys of life, I think, is being a father, and also for me probably now being a grandfather. I could be a great-grandfather, but none have responded well yet. <laughs> but I look forward to the day. Um, but it's always uh, so good to just take time out in our, our yearly events and remember, you know, fathers, mothers, different people in our lives who have really had an impact, input into our heart. Uh, perhaps your journey is that your experience with a father mightn't have been strong. Uh, but today, the wonderful thing is that we can acknowledge the power of God the Father in our life and let him minister into that area. And I'll talk about a wee bit about that later on. Just for me, my father was a valuable part of my life. He um, was a great dad. So I remember him as being one who was incredibly generous. He was incredibly loyal. He loved my mum, and I learned that from my father. Not only was he loyal, but he believed in us. Probably believed in us beyond what he should have done, um, but he did believe in us. If I have one regret, he died at the age of 59, and he had had a heart attack. And at the time, Helen and I were living in Gisborne, and I woke up. And the Holy Spirit just said to me, he said, this sickness is unto death. And it was like God preparing me. And so I, we were in Gisborne. I went to the pastor of the church and I said, I think God's speaking to me. And he said, oh, no, no, I, I don't think God would talk like that. And within a week he died. But I think the Holy Spirit was just, in a way, saying, come on you could go and say your goodbye. And probably if I have a regret, that would be one little regret you have, that you had that premonition or you had that quickening. And so for me, my father was a valuable part of my life. Uh, and, you know, you look back and you praise God that his influence over you never controlled you but helped you to become the person that God wanted you to be. And so I celebrate him. Not a perfect man, but I say a good man. And I don't think there are any perfect fathers, and so we're never going to talk about someone being perfect, but we will always teach in this church principles that help you to become a better person. Amen? And so today, quite deliberately, I'm going to talk into the whole area of fathering, because I believe right now we are living in a generation of fatherlessness. And you look and you can see a lot of the problems in our environment, in our world today. And you can look at the symptoms, but often we don't come back and we don't identify the root cause. And for me, I believe much of what's happening in our world is just simply because we're living right now in a fatherless generation. Where fathers have abdicated their role and so we have sons and daughters who are growing up without the influence of the father, heart of God in a way, ministering into their life and bringing security. I think it's causing massive problems in New Zealand and in the West. They say one in two people, marriages end in divorce. You might be one of those statistics here today. 
but, and we have that experience within our, our own immediate family. So I'm not here to condemn, but just to say it does create a problem. Because the moment a mum and dad separate, you then are facing issues of fatherlessness often. And it is one of the greatest reasons, statistically, if you read a lot about it, causing poverty. Uh, because straight away you stretch. Now, what was stable, and now you have something that's unstable. And it often breeds poverty, and that would be, again, our experience, is that it just opens up to a world where, in a way, people are deprived because they don't have the benefits of having that stability. So these are massive issues, and I want to speak into it uh, because I think it's creating problems more than we realize in our world. And it's, in a way, for the church to really rise up and be counterculture, uh, to actually esteem the role of the father. And we have a job to do. We've got a role to do. And if you're here today, you'll hear in a moment, and perhaps you've grown up in a, in a home where perhaps your father died prematurely or it wasn't a good experience for you. One of the powerful roles of the church is to actually be, create an environment where God, our Father in heaven, can be a father to the fatherless. Um, and what does that look like? I think it's an environment where God really works by his spirit and is able to minister into perhaps a deficit in people's lives where there has been pain and there hasn't been the experience. That's why church is very powerful. Never, ever negate the importance of church. Even if you are have a st stability in your relationship, mother, father, don't underestimate the power of church in that journey and establishing something strong in the heart of your children. And it's very important that we see that that is part of how God works and how God wants to build and how God wants to establish and so when I talk today, because we have a lot of language, a lot of noise in our world, and I've got to be careful how I frame this, because in our world, the big subject is equality, our shared roles. Uh, so there's a lot of language, there's a lot of noise. So just to let you know, I do share in the cooking. Uh, I am reasonably well domesticated, so I'm not a male chauvinist, just to let you know. Uh, I do believe in pay equity for all people. If you do a job, everybody should be equally paid. So I just want to create that so people don't come to me and say, you're acting like a male chauvinist. I'm not doing that. I'm speaking into fathers. Amen. Uh, I want to create, I, I want to declare God's order. He created, he created male, female. Uh, this is something that goes right back to the beginning. And I think we're trying to mess with God's creation. So we've got to really, in a way as a church, be careful. But he created male and female. How, I, how do I know that? Well, within our setting, I'm not maternal. I can't do what Helen does, and she can't do what I do. 
And I think that's quite general. I think there are areas where male are male and female are female, mum, dad. And they're important to acknowledge, even though we live in a world where there's a lot of noise trying to destroy that. But really, that's God's creative order. And as a church, we need to esteem that. We need to lift it up unashamedly. Because if we don't, what we will do is uh, the, the undercurrent will begin to destroy the very fabric of God's foundation and his word. And we've got to really esteem it and uphold it. Uh, if you really want to be clever, some people often, I listen to the news, and some people say, well, we're living in a progressive world. And so therefore, we've got to change to go with the progressive world. The Queen made an interesting statement. I'm not sure whether I quote it right in her 70th year celebration. And she was quoting Winston Churchill, and I'm not sure whether I got the words right. I tried to find the quote, but I couldn't. But she basically just said this. If we are to embrace a positive future, we must study the past. And I believe we're living in a world that's not studying the past. They're not looking at what's happened in history because there's nothing new under the sun. And we've actually got to be really very careful how we navigate our future because if we don't look at the past, what we're going to do is just make the same mistakes that's happened in the past. And in a way, you look at our world and our country, and especially in the West right now, we are really on a slippery slope. Where's it going to end? Well, history can actually tell you where it ends because we've got to start to see that already these things have happened in the course of history. And so there's nothing new. So you might sit here and say, I'm a progressive thinker. No, no, come on, study your history. Because if you study your history, you'll find out there's nothing new. And what we've got to do is actually as a church, lift up the standard of God's word because it's the greatest foundation upon which we can establish the next generation of people and establish something that will bring security and wholeness into our society. Malachi chapter four, verses five and six is a very profound scripture. And it's the last verse of the Old Testament and I believe that we should take note of the scripture, this verse, because in a way it's the verse that leads us into the New Testament, but it's a very profound scripture, and it is a prophetic scripture, and it just says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And then it gives us prophetic. This is the last line of the Old Testament. Lest I strike the earth with a curse. Now, I, I actually think because we haven't paid attention to verses like this, the inference of what it's saying, we are really under careful words, but a curse. Society is. Because we have let modern day environments fashion us. And if you really look at the word of God, God is saying fathers are incredibly important. The amazing part of this verse, which you need to really think about, is there's one heart that's got to turn first. And it's the heart of the father. And today I'm speaking to you as a 
as a father to fathers, that we need our hearts to turn. You might be actually a good father to your biological children, but even in the church context, we naturally need fathers to rise up and be fathers within the life of the church. And not just coming to church, but actually being present. Because when we see fathers turning their hearts to their children, to their sons, what happens is the sons will automatically turn around and turn their heart to the fathers. And when that happens, you actually get security. You get an environment where God is able to help people to discover who they are. And it's important that we take note of the scripture. The second scripture I want to build off uh, is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. You can talk about many examples in the Bible. And one example could be Eli and his sons in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Eli was a careless father. And in the end, he had sons who were not only careless, but corrupt. And ultimately, God not only, because he judged powerfully in the Old Testament, not only judged the boys, but he judged his father because he was a careless about his role and his responsibility. And we do have a role and responsibility. But what we have in 1 Corinthians, and I want you to get the understanding, is the Corinth was a pagan environment. The gospel came into Corinth. It was a church that the apostle Paul established. But they were coming out of a pagan environment. It was not an environment like Jerusalem where there was a a Jewish culture, a godly environment. This was a pagan environment. So when they came to Christ, there was still a lot of of, uh, experiences or a lot of activity that had been involved in that was easily just creeping into the church. And the book of 1 Corinthians is about Paul trying to bring an adjustment into the church culture because they were allowing, they they loved their experience of God, but they were allowing things to seep in that weren't good. And he actually brings a correction into that environment. And can I say to you, actually, we're on a slippery slope. From secularism, we will go to paganism very quickly. And we're on that slippery slope. And really for the church to rise up, we cannot look on as as observers. We've got to speak into it and create an environment of change. But Paul comes into this environment and he brings a letter of really massive correction. It's really worth reading. If you want to read about modern day culture, read 1 Corinthians up to about seven or eight chapters. And another scripture everybody should read is Romans chapter 1 because it talks about the slippery slope of society and we're on that journey and we need to take note of these scriptures because they can speak into the environment we're part of. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, is, is Paul responding because the hearers did not like what he was saying. They reacted to it. And you often get that. You could react to me today. You probably might be, some of you might already be. But it just says, I do not write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you in the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. 
Now, in the Message Bible, it just frames a part which makes it probably more easier for us to get hold of. It just says, there are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take time and effort to help you grow up. And really, that's what Paul was about. He was saying, really, if you look into the world around you, there's a lot of people around who can instruct you on this and instruct you on that and instruct you on this, but there are not many fathers. A father is actually committed to your well-being. He's committed to you growing up. He's committed to you establishing an environment where you are secure and you grow in maturity. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm concerned because at the moment there are forces working against you that you've invited in that's actually destroying the very fabric of who God wants you to be. And so... He spoke of this. He said, boy, we need fathers. We need men who will rise up and give this, establish this in their life. Just another scripture before we move on is Psalm 68 verses 5 to 6. And we live in a world where this needs to be said. Because for those who have perhaps gone through a home where mum and dad have divorced, you don't know your dad, Perhaps your dad died prematurely. That's where church is powerful. Because what it says here is it says that God will be a father to the fatherless. A defender of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families and he brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. And what he's saying is, that's why church is so powerful. Right through history, study history. Church became a powerful environment for the people who were left destitute. God came and he was able to minister. I cannot be a father to everyone. I know my, my limits, but I know that we can actually position a church where the Spirit of God the Father is so powerfully present and he can heal and make up for those broken areas that have been destroyed in people's lives. And today I believe the Holy Spirit is present here and he wants to do that in people's lives. I've seen old men who've never known the spirit of a father. God has healed them even in their older age because they never let the Father of heaven minister into the desolate, broken areas of their life. And that's what we've got to do. We need church right now, in this environment. That's why church is powerful. Don't negate the importance of church, can I say to you? Because in its purest sense, it is a community. It's a community where we worship God primarily. It's a, it's a community, though, where God ministers to us. It's where God deals with some of the broken fabrics of our life. But it's also a, it's a community which helps inspire us so that we can be involved in mission. We can meet out to people through, in our world and minister into their life. And it's such an important environment. What we see in society today, and I, I just come and will give you a few things that I think are important, is in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, what's happening is because of secularism and pushing out God from our framework, we're now more interested in creation then we are the creator. And actually, as you look at it, people are, are actually now worshiping creation. 
And it won't take long for that to become idolatry because that's what will happen. But what we've got to do is establish, no, no, we worship one God. We worship the creator of the universe. We are unashamedly lifting him up as the as, 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 as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who's come to redeem us, fashion us, change us, and position us in a new way. What I want to do now is just give you 10 things. There's probably many more that fathers can take note of. I'll come back and probably talk mainly on two, but I'm just going to go through quickly and just give you the headlines of the 10. Then I'll come back and just minister on two. Number one, I believe fathers bring and establish an environment of security. And we need to see that. That's the one I want to come back and minister on. Secondly, they help children, sons and daughters, discover who they are. It's an important role of a father. We right now have a generation who really don't know who they are, but the spirit of a father can help people discover who they are. If you're to really identify it, fathers, never tell your child, your son, your daughter, what you want them to be, because you'll destroy them. And I see a lot of parents try to tell their children what they should be, rather than them helping them to discover who they are. And my third point, in equipping them for the future of what God has placed in their life. Bit of a light thing, but just to ease it a little bit, my daughter always still has me on because I encouraged her to take economics at school. And she says to me, to even this day, I wanted to do typing. You never let me. I'm a bum typer. And, uh, and she said, if I had done what I wanted, I could work the keyboards, which is part of the skill of today, but you told me to take economics. And I said to her in debate and argument, yeah, but you're good with money. <laughs> <laughs> you might be good on the typewriter, but you are pretty good with money. Anyhow, argument. But, but you've got to be so careful that you don't tell your child what you want them to be. You've got to help them to discover. And that's why you help your children discover who they are. They are primarily created in the image of God. He fashioned them. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, sometimes we can use the princess prince talk. I'd go light on that if I was you, but anyhow, just let them know who they are. They're fashioned in the image of God. Some days they're princesses, other days they're not. That's why I think you've got to be careful. <laughs> Number four, they need a, an environment of discipline. Discipline works for our profit. And if we don't create an environment of discipline, there'll come a point in time where they get a job and they can't hold a job because there's no discipline in their life. Discipline is, an, is, a, is a, a very important part of the work of God bringing us to maturity. And you can read it in Hebrews chapter 12. It just says, uh, for you endure chastening or disciplining, for God deals with you as a son. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten or discipline? But if you are without chastening or discipline, of which... All have become partakers when you are illegitimate, illegitimate and not sons. And so if you don't respond, it's almost like you're an illegitimate child who really wants freedom but no boundaries. 
And that's why in church life, we've got to help people to encourage them to, to, to see the power of discipline. You're building boundaries. You're not boxing people up, but you're building boundaries for them to actually focus their life and help them to train them for the future direction that they need. Number five, I won't talk about this a lot. It's a big subject, but they love unconditionally. Fathers need to love unconditionally because no one's going to be perfect. And they will do things that are wrong. But what they need is a security of, of love. Not condemnation, but love. Where there's a high level of acceptance. Number six is they release. When your child gets to the point of 18 or whatever, sometimes they've got to go on a path of discovery. And the prodigal son was a powerful path where the father had to release him but stay at home with a heart that would never judge him when he returned because he had released him to go on this journey. And sometimes we've got to release people. It's a very hard, hard area to navigate because you know that they could do a lot of damage. But as you release, you don't condemn, but you hold a heart of restoration and healing. And that's, a, that's an important part of fathering. But the moment you start judging in that environment, you could push the person away further. Number seven is they guide relationally. Watch who your children pair up with, where they get their mates. We have a statement and a quip, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Don't underestimate the power of relationships to shape your future. And that's why a lot of people today are getting in wrong relationships. No one's there to guide them in those relationships. It's not cute. It's damaging. And as Christians, we're called to minister, but you don't put a vulnerable child in a point of ministry to try and save someone who could destroy them. Be wise. Help them navigate that journey, that path. And the Bible says in Psalm 1, verses 1 to 2, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor seat, sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So powerful. Watch where your children are sitting. Watch where they're standing. Watch who they're walking with. Because it can have detriment on their life. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that applies to you and I as well. Watch who you put into your world because it will have a massive bearing on the future of your life. Number eight, they model. Paul's words, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, I urge you, Imitate me. I loved it. My father modeled its areas to me. The way he served, he was a servant leader. He came, and I remember him coming. He empowered me to have a farm at the age of 21 years of age, my own farm. Helen and I put our signature, I've still got the contract, with our signatures on it. But he'd come out, and this is what he'd do without speaking too long into it. He'd drive up in his truck, the old truck was an old ute, dog on the back, 
he'd get out, and this is what he said to his 22-year-old boy. What do you want me to do today? He came to serve. But after look back, I thought, you're a cunning old man, really. <laughs> because you knew that I was a vulnerable boy with a big responsibility. But rather than impose, you came to serve. And he was actually in that environment leading me through a vulnerable period of my life. And he actually, by serving, helped me to succeed. And so we didn't, never underestimate the power of that. So he modeled that. He modeled it in a very significant, powerful way. As I said, he was generous. He was loyal. I, I love his loyalty. We need more loyalty. I'm inspired by my father's loyalty to my mother. Amen? This inspires me. They had their ups and downs. I can remember them arguing. So they had their life, but I remember the latter part of their life. They were probably closer than any point I'd ever seen them in their life. They were loyal, and there was something to me that was inspiring about their loyalty. But I just want to mention one more. Is they were he was incredibly restoring. I had a car accident at the age of 21. My car accident was caused because I had been drinking too much. I was coming home at 3 o'clock in the morning and went to sleep. I ended up deviating to, uh, to the other side of the road and hit another car. And I often think how I didn't kill someone. I see those driving, drink driving um, adverts on TV and I, I often think I could have been that person. I was so close to it. The man, the car I hit, his leg was broken. But I remember going to him. But I came home, two weeks in hospital, came home. The first thing my father did was he said, come on, boy, hop in the car. And he got me behind a steering wheel, and he hopped in the other side. And we went for a drive. Because he knew that I was in a vulnerable position. He didn't put fear into me. But do you know, I was an idiot. I deserved to have a car accident, because I was stupid. But do you know my father never condemned me? Never condemned. He had this strong level of restoring, restoration. And I often think of that. That's what church is about. We're not here to condemn. We're not here to condemn your weakness or vulnerability or when you trip over and fall. The church is about restoring and helping you to find a better place. So out of it, I, I often think sin is destructive, but God is constructive. Sin is destructive. Really, sin, people try to paint it as glamorous and nice, and who are you to tell me to put boundaries around my life? Well, if you want to go down a path of self-destruction, keep going down that way. Ultimately, it will restore, restore relationships. It restores people's ability to function and operate accurately. But God is constructive. God wants to destroy. As, as uh, Shane Willard said, God's yoke is easy. His burden is light. His teaching actually brings you into a framework of liberty and freedom. And what we need in church life is people who will model. They don't model out of a place or a platform where they're perfect, 
but they model out of a platform where they can inspire people to see that there's a different way to live. Christianity, can I tell you today, is counterculture. It doesn't fit into culture, it's counterculture. And we need to proclaim it as counterculture, but it's a counterculture that's worth telling people about. Why? Because it brings liberty into your life. It helps you to find out who you are. It helps you to discover who you can stand on when you're going through difficult times. It puts hope into your life where there's hopelessness. It helps you to discover a sense of purpose and vision. It helps you to come into a place of prosperity. It helps you to come into a place where you're freed from the things that want to destroy you. Never underestimate the power of redemption. Never underestimate the power of God's victory. Number nine, they testify. Testify to God's goodness. Two weeks ago, I think it was, could I have the guy playing the keyboard? Who was it? You mind coming? Um, two weeks ago, Helen and I celebrated our 52nd wedding anniversary, which was good. But marriage is good. Well, I'm telling you, marriage is good. Even when you're 52 years married. You don't have to go through life cycles of change. No, stay with the same people. Be loyal. I'm testifying. Come on. God is good. Marriage is good. Stay in an environment where you can get healed, get over yourself. Stop flirting with ideas that there's something better on the other side. Come on, I'm testifying. I'm testifying as a father, as an older marriage. Come on, marriage is good. It's an environment of safety for people. It's an environment where you get healed. It's an environment where you get set free. It's an environment where you struggle. It's an environment where you agree together. It's an environment where God can actually minister to you and you can have favour and partnership in an environment where people are ending up the, the latter part of their life in destitution, loneliness, fear. But come on, let's testify. God is good. He's a healer. He's a, he's a, he's a God of victory. He's a God who sets us free. I believe Psalm 145 verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And the folks today, I am wanting to declare God's mighty acts because He's a faithful God. He's a good God. Never underestimate the power of His victory. Number 10, they pray. That sounds easy to say. They pray. You know, Nate, I prayed more for my kids, my grandchildren, the church. Yeah, I prayed for you, Scott, Wayne and Libby. I don't just say they pray. I pray. Our battle is not flesh and blood. Our battle is principalities and powers. And we need to start to connect with a God who knows how to break through an environment where there's loud, secular voices that are trying to rob and take from our children, our grandchildren, their inheritance. We need to start to pray. And today, fathers, I'm speaking into your heart. Come on, pick up a responsibility. Start to get into a prayer life, prayer habit. Whether it's driving your car by yourself, just get energized to say, I'm taking this trip. I'm going to redeem it and I'm going to pray. 
But I do want to come back to my first point. Because I think this is prophetic for today and this way I'll finish. Psalm 144 is a very important scripture for quippers. It's why we're so conscious and so focused on an emerging generation. It just says here, rescue me, deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lying words and whose right hand is a hand of falsehood. What's the saying? Come on, rescue me, deliver me from a hand of foreigners. The noise is loud. The battle is loud, strong. Inferences, foreign voices, voices almost putting on you if you do not fit in to what's happening. You're strange. Well, I don't mind being alien. If it means there's a better way. It says, why? Come on, here, here, here's, here's, here's a picture. That our sons may be as plants grown in their use and our daughters sculptured in palace style. Daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style. That's why. The foreign voice of the enemy is trying to distract. It's trying to rob people. Foreign voices, can I declare today, contrary to the kingdom of God. They're contrary. They are contrary to the kingdom of God. That's why, come on church, you cannot be biblically illiterate and survive in this world. It's impossible. You need to discover the Word of God. Because as the Queen said, if you want to embrace your future, you've got to know history. And the Bible is a Bible of history. It's a Bible of testimony. It's a Bible of stories. Modern education is destroying children's innocence. We need a voice that is able to help them navigate that path. Fatherlessness is a major contributor of poverty. Identity. In the world, there are two, two words that we use. And I'm mainly speaking into the male context. The first word is masculine. It's probably the way I'd identify myself as more masculine. I'm a bit rugged. I don't mind the, the hard stuff, the strength stuff, the dirty stuff. When I say dirty, I don't mean dirty in the moral sense. But the rugby, I don't mind that. So I am. But there's another generation of males that we don't talk about. And fathers need to understand this person. They're called the emasculate, emasculated. They're more the weaker, more the feeling person. The ones who are more sensitive. They probably don't like the rugby. They don't like the fishing, they don't like that. They're more the arty, the singer. I'm not saying that the singers are not 
the other. I'm just giving you an idea, so please don't go black and white. There's two sides. But they're more the, the tender heart. Do you know the personality types in Romans chapter 12 is the most common personality type. 40% of people have a spirit of mercy. 40%. They're the feelers. And often what we're not helping these people do as fathers is to help them find their identity. They, they could be the criers. I cry. But they, they're the feelers. What we're trying to do is make them what they're not. And we need to help them to discover who they are and to find their identity as a man because that's the way God's created them to be. And I believe fathering in this next part is so important. We need to help people discover who they are. That's the role of a father. That's the role of a dad. It helps them to discover their identity. It helps them to discover who they are. And if we try and push them into a world they're not, they will try and look for something in a different direction. Fathering is so important in the day we live. And I believe we need to see the differences. Children will react, they'll respond in different ways. Can I say to you, fathers, when your girls become teenagers, they need more cuddles from you than ever. And the moment you separate yourself from them, you will actually put in them a desire to get it from somewhere else. But in that teenage year, they need to be loved by you. They need to be cuddled by you. They need you to be able to put your arms around them and say, I love you. And we need to understand as fathers, come on, we are helping them to build their identity. We're helping them to establish security. We're helping them to survive in a rugged world. And that's why I believe that right now, the church has got a responsibility to lead the way and help people on this journey. And I know today I, I could have been a little bit provocative for some of you, but I don't mind. Because if I can provoke you to think, you don't have to agree with me, but if I can provoke you to think, for me, I've won. If I can provoke you to get into the Word of God, I've won. If I can provoke you to pray, I've won. Because right now we need a father generation that rises up and takes their responsibility, begins to be a model. People will not listen to what you say, but they listen to who you are. They are watching, they're watching in this church. Young people are watching you, how you handle your life. They're watching you. You don't think they're looking, but I'll tell you now, thus saith the Lord, young people are looking at you. They're watching how you deal with life, how you deal with crisis, difficulty. They're watching how you walk, how you, 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 you function with your wife. I'm speaking to men. They're watching. And your testimony as you model is more powerful than what you ever instruct and whatever you say. And I believe right now God is looking for equivers to model. Mother's Day, we might talk about mothers, but today we're talking about fathers. 
Come on, fathers. Should I say it? Yes, I will say it. Stop being wimps. Take your place. Stop hiding behind your career. Take your responsibility. Stop saying, I don't understand. Let God heal you. Stop saying, I didn't have a father in my life. Let God minister into your heart. You can become the greatest father. I ministered to someone overseas recently, and he said, I, uh, um, his words were, it's a wee bit like a Reggie Dab story, because I prophesied, I said, I believe that God is putting on your life the spirit of fatherhood, and you're gonna father a generation of people. He said, uh, I, I just prophesied, and he came up to me after, the, he said, when you prophesied, you almost broke something in me, because he said, I don't know my father. My mother was a prostitute. And I was the end of a relationship. And he said, I've never known a father. And here you're prophesying that you will father another generation, that God would call them. And he broke down and he cried because he realised, how could I ever do that? And I said, you know God the Father. And God the Father can fashion you to become everything that you've struggled with in your life. And you probably know the pain of the other. But you can be the best dad.